It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hope you had a great 4th of July. I admit I am completely and totally screwed up when it comes to days of the week. It, it's now I A lot of people took off on Monday. I, I didn't. I, we, we had a show on Monday. But for a lot of people, I know this is the start of your work week, which is a Wednesday. For some reason, working Monday and having the day off, I, I just, last night, completely and totally confused about, okay, you know, what it, right, Hondo says it felt like a Sunday. Yeah, especially since I play golf on Sunday mornings, and I played golf with a buddy of mine yesterday. We played, you know, early on the 4th of July before the parades and things like that, and it's just, I, I will say this, even uh, for a lot of people, I, I, I need a day off to recover. I, I freely, I freely acknowledge, I think that there is a nap in the offing sometime this afternoon. But we do not go gently into the return of the work week. Lots of stuff to discuss, some lighter stuff and some significant stuff as well. But bizarre story that I just want to offer a comment on before we get into our three big things. Um, Over, well, a couple days ago, the, the, the big story was, again, the president deciding to tweet out in his continuing war with CNN and other aspects of the mainstream media. He, he takes a a 28-second video of him back at WrestleMania whatever a decade or so ago, and he ends up body slamming the Vince, Vince McMahon, who was the owner of um, uh, the WWE, and it was, it was all this staged sort of thing. Well, there is this 28-second vi- video and what somebody had done is they kind of blank out Vince McMahon's face and they put the, the, the CNN logo. It's a CNN, kind of in the balloon over that, the word balloon. And, and then President Trump tweets that out. It creates this huge controversy. We talked about it on Monday's show. The media goes absolutely nuts. The mainstream media, people saying, oh, that the president is encouraging violence against journalists. That's ridiculous. Now, let me just uh, – that, that, is, that is a ridiculous and over, a incredible overreaction. Now, that's not to say – that the president sending this video out was not impulsive and childish and beneath the dignity of the office of the presidency, which I think it was. But to say that he's encouraging people to go out and commit acts of violence on journalists, I, I thought what was, again, it's the hysteria that you get and that you've gotten from so many of the anti-Trump people. Uh, again, it, it's not like, okay, he, he's pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, you know, that as a policy matter, is that a good thing or a bad thing? But it's we're going to end the planet. Everybody's going to be dead in 10 years. It, it's that type of overreaction. Oh, we're going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something else. Hundreds of tens of millions of Americans are going to die. They're going to be dead in the next couple months. I mean, again, it's this ridiculous overreaction. And that's what I thought it was to the, the CNN, the, the, the reaction that some had to the president sending out this clearly parody video. Now, again, should he have done it? I don't think so. But But here's where the story gets even weirder. CNN has apparently identified the guy who made the video in the first place because this this was posted. I mean, the video itself was posted a while back. Um, They've identified the guy. And apparently it's a middle-aged man somewhere. They're not saying who this is. And that's what gets really weird about this in just a second I'll talk about. But they've identified who, who this is. And apparently the guy has a history of posting racist and anti-Semitic comments on this particular uh, account. So CNN finds the guy that, that has done this. CNN, it, it, he, he's, a, he's a Reddit user, R-E-D-D-I-T, Reddit user. So instead of identifying him, if they think it's newsworthy, CNN apparently has said that they're not going to identify the guy as long as he 
apologizes and promises that he's not going to do anything else that CNN doesn't like on social media. You know, it's, otherwise, they're, they're going to name him. This, to me, is just absolutely bizarre. I mean, you now have, and, and people are accusing CNN of extortion. I don't know that it's that, but it's just, it's this bizarre thing. All right, CNN purports to be a, a journalistic, you know, outlet. So it is either newsworthy, uh, the identity of the guy who originated this video is, seems to me, is either newsworthy or it's not newsworthy. If it's newsworthy, you go ahead, you, you publish it. If it's not newsworthy, all right, you say, okay, there, there's no interest in this. You know, we don't think it's newsworthy. You move on. But CNN has apparently decided to inject itself in and saying, well, we think this is apparently newsworthy, but we're not going to publish your name unless you promise that you're not going to do anything in the future that apparently you know, we think is racist or sexist or misogynistic or criticizes us or, or whatever. So they're threatening the guy, and they say, if you don't do what we want to, you to do, we're going to publish your name. All right, when did a major news outlet become sort of like the, the, the mob, you know, which is, you know, you do what we want you to do or else, you know, we're going to, Vito's going to come over and we're going to break your knuckles. Or in this case, we're going to publish your name. And once we publish your name, you're going to be subject to all this ridicule and you're going to guarantee, we guarantee you, you're going to get all this hate email and stuff like that. It's just, again, a bizarre, we are in bizarre times that the president of the United States decides to send this out that journalists overreact in the fashion that they do, and then that CNN would go out and say, okay, we, we have somebody, we have this information, um, but we're not going to identify the person as long as he agrees to tow our line. Huh. Just, again, bizarre, bizarre times. All right, coming up in less than two minutes, we start off our three big things. What do we do about the problem of North Korea? Stick around. It's 842. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time to move on. Time to get going. It's 8.44, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. That is, of course, Tom Petty. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performing tonight at the main stage at Summerfest and tomorrow at the uh, Summerfest Main Stage 2, the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Um, if you have not seen Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you, you really should check them out. Um, it is... It's it's the classic Americana, classic American rock and roll songbook. And if you go to a Tom Petty show, you, you just you'll be amazed at how many songs that you hear and say, "Oh, I didn't necessarily, I've forgotten that they did that one, or I forgot that they did that one." They always put on a great show, and uh, it looks like the weather is going to be absolutely tremendous. I encourage you to check it out. All right. Unfortunately, we start off the program big thing number one with a very very serious issue that has the potential to be a downer. Um, there are, there are. A couple, in general, I, I think that the countries of the world behave in a civilized fashion. And even though they have their own self-interest at heart, I think most of the responsible countries in this world, you know, the ones with nuclear capabilities, for example, recognize the inherent dangers. And, and even though they're trying to promote their own interests, they, they they pull us back from from the brink. And, you know, we have all sorts of issues with Russia, Lord knows. But at the end of the day, you, you have to think that if there was ever a real problem that developed, that, that cooler heads would prevail. I, I think the same thing is true about China. Over the weekend, I was re, I watched the movie 13 Days Again, which is about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you understand how close the world came to 
really, I mean, World War III over missiles in Cuba that Russia was trying to place. But but ultimately, people backed off and cooler heads prevailed. And I continue to believe that 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 is the case as a general rule, except you have a couple of rogue nations. And and North Korea is one of these rogue nations that operates outside any sort of, of boundaries at all. I mean, this is the same North Korea that grabbed the U.S. college student, what, last year. Uh, supposedly, he took down a political poster. He was sentenced to five years at hard labor. He was literally beaten to death and then released a week before he ended up dying. Um, he was in a, a coma that had been induced theoretically from the beatings. This is, this is the rogue state that is North Korea. Now, North Korea, for the longest time, has been, number one, trying to develop nuclear capability, and number two, trying to develop a missile capability, a missile delivery system, so that they could theoretically put nuclear warheads on intercontinental ballistic missiles and send them off um, so they could menace not just their neighbor South Korea, but also menace the rest of the world. As a general, at least so far, the, the missile program has been, if not a complete and total failure, it, it's been certainly not a success. I mean, most of these test firings that they have appear to fizzle. Um, it, it's not working very well. Well, that that changed a couple days ago. North Korea on Tuesday claimed that it had successfully test-launched its first intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, if true, this is, of course, a direct rebuke to President Trump saying it, it won't happen. The launch appeared to be North Korea's most successful missile test, yet the U.S. confirmed that there was a test. Um, they say that looking at the height and the distance and the time that the missile flew, it, it is possible, it is possible that it could now, this missile could now reach Alaska. I mean, thereby theoretically threatening the, the U.S. The, the bigger concern, though, is, is if they've gotten this one that works, now does that mean that they're going to be able to expand and improve on this? So you now have an intercontinental ballistic missile system that could threaten not just Alaska, but could threaten other parts of the United States. And that, of course, is a scary, scary prospect when you have a madman. And North Korea does have a madman that, that's running the show. The, the U.S. tried. Trump tried to reach out to China and get China to put on economic pressure or because China essentially props up North Korea. And he tried to get China to do something to kind of rein in North Korea. That that has essentially failed. So now, you know, you have a situation where you have a crazy man who now has access to a a missile system that is starting to develop. Does he have nuclear capability? Well, not yet. At least people don't think so. But he's now got this delivery system. And, of course, it it threatens. Now it's threatening Alaska. It's also threatening, you know, other places as well. And so the U.S. now has to decide what, what they're going to do about this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we go from here? Is this something that we just talk about? Or is this something that now the United States, China has apparently failed in its efforts, and who knows how much they really tried, to try to rein in North Korea? Obviously, you know, you'd like the United Nations to get involved, but as we all know, the United Nations is a paper tiger. I don't think this can be allowed to continue. And I'm not calling for a military strike on on North Korea at this point. 
at this point. It might become necessary at some point in time. But you cannot, it seems to me, allow this rogue nation to continue to get these missiles that have greater capabilities so they could, again, threaten the West Coast or whatever. And I think at the very least, it's now time for the U.S. to start ratcheting up sanctions even more. And one of the things that the U.S. could do, for example, in order to try to encourage China to get on board with this, is the U.S. could start freezing assets of you know, different banking concerns, for example, um, Chinese banking concerns that do business or help prop up the North Korean government. Because the bottom line is, I don't think we can take a wait-and-see result anymore because you do that, and six months from now, you've got this crazy person that might end up you know, launching missiles, again, either at Alaska or at other targets in the U.S. I think this is a very big deal, and I think it means that we got to start to do something. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number one, and I don't think there's, unfortunately, a bigger story today. What to do about the problem of North Korea? Can we just ignore this? Can we continue to give lip service to this? Can we continue to just condemn these types of things, but not move to the next step, which to me has got to be significant economic pressure on the countries that are propping up the North Korean government? What do you think? 852, we discuss next. This is Jeff Wagner. 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's Tom Petty. He's performing tonight as the headliner at Summerfest. It's the final game of the series and the homestand for the Brewers as they play game three against Baltimore. That would be the first place Milwaukee Brewers. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering hit our airwaves at 535 tonight, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. I don't think there's too many people that would have predicted on July 5th the Brewers would be in first place in the Central Division by three and a half games. So, um, boy, and then you think about some of the games they could have won. But anyhow, enjoy the ride. Go out, see the game. They're playing great baseball. All right, what, to do, what do you do about the prop of North Korea? Terry on the south side. Terry, good morning. You're first. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What, yeah, do, you, I, I, what do you think? I'll be quick. I was just going to say, uh, uh, we can't, I don't know how much longer we can be concerned about what China and other countries may do. It leaves our hands tied, you know? Yep. And, and another interesting fact that I learned, I actually looked it up because I'm a big science guy. If that rocket did go that high, that's actually five times higher than the Hubble Space Telescope. Hmm. Oh, well, well, yeah. well, and that's that's scary. You know, I mean, thanks. I mean, see, it, it, it's I mean, that, that that's a, the, one of the scary things that's out there as well is over. And here's part of the problem with the military option. Ten years ago, North Korea only had a couple missile launch sites. So theoretically, 10 years ago, we could have taken them out, you know, militarily. Now they have a large number of missile sites that they can shoot, you know, that they can shoot these missiles from. So you get to a point where you're like, all right, um, you know, is, is it even possible if you started bombing these missile sites, could you take them all out? And a lot of military people say no, because we don't know where all of them are. Um, and, and then you risk escalating this as well. Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on 620 BTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my sure. call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, I was telling uh, the guy I used the phone, uh, I winter down in Florida, and I've got a friend down there who is ex-Secret Service. And he said potentially what could happen here is that the leader of North Korea, Kim Young, whatever his name right, is, yeah. uh, uh, he could very well be assassinated. And I said, gee, do you think that America will go ahead and assassinate him? And he said, no, I think one of his military generals will do that. Hmm. Facing, you know, an opposition like the United States where they know that, you know, 
know, they're just not going to come through with it. I think in the long run, his own military may be against him uh, in so doing. Uh, you know, such a thing as trying right. to bomb the United States. Yeah, which is because it would be suicidal to do so, is what you're saying. You know, it, just right. to get into a sh- right, and that's, and I, I think that's, you know, that is, of course, one of the theories that's out there. Um, I, I, look, who knows what goes on in the heads of some of the, the these madmen? But one of the things that at least some people are looking at is years and years ago. You, you might remember um, Muammar Gaddafi. He was in Libya, and he was developing a nuclear program as well. And, and what happened is um, he bowed to international economic pressure to give up the military program. And as soon as he did that, he was deposed. <laughs> and the U.S. actually helped to kind of depose him. So one of the things that people are thinking is the guy in North Korea is saying, "Well, I, I don't want to do this because this is my uh, my leverage." As long as I have this nuclear capability that that then I'm assured that I'm going to stay in power. And he's always been menacing to South Korea and to Japan. This, it's just, it is an absolute, it is an absolute mess. And I do think, just like in the early 1960s, the the U.S. said, look, we, we cannot allow there to be, you know, missiles in Cuba that threaten the, the security of the United States. I think at some point in time, we, we can't say we, we're going to allow nuclear missiles to be anywhere in North Korea that threaten the west coast of the United States or threaten Alaska or whatever. The question becomes, how do you do it? And I guess I'm going to be curious to see what President Trump's next step is. I don't think it's time for military action, but I do think it's time to, again, even tighten the screws further economically on the countries that are propping up North Korea in an effort to try to force North Korea to voluntarily abandon this program. Just saying. Okay, big thing number two is coming up. Public schools, guns. It's an interesting story. Stick around. It's 859. So, Janie, I know you worked yesterday. Did you get a chance to enjoy the 4th of July after you got off? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I sat in the backyard. Oh, it was a beautiful day. It was such a gorgeous day. Uh, no, just an absolute chamber of commerce day. Yeah. I, I, you know, I play golf in the morning and then I uh, have some friends who you know, live right off the lake and like a quarter mile down from where they shoot off fireworks. And oh, we always, perfect. We, we invade their, right. We invade their, their big backyard that's right on the lake. Um, you know, every 4th of July and they have a big party that I, I'm the one that actually says, Meredith, we're going to have that party again and you're going to make those margaritas. <laughs> and, you know, it's yes, Jeff, we'll end up doing that. But it was just, you know, because it's the perfect sort of thing because you get the outdoor experience of watching the fireworks, but you don't have to sit on a blanket and wait for them for like seven or eight hours or several days or several days. Yeah. And you have and you have bathrooms that are readily accessible, you know, which is there's there's actually a kitchen and there's food. And nice. so it was uh, it was very pleasant. So hope everybody enjoyed the Fourth of July. The uh, weather certainly cooperated. It sounds like we've got a pretty decent stretch weather coming up. Okay, big story number two. Um, There is a bill that's been introduced by a couple Republican legislatures. Now, stay with me here. What it would do is it would require the Department of Public Instruction and the DNR to write a curriculum for a firearm safety course that students could offer to their high school students at the schools could, could offer to their high school students as an elective. So the law would say you've got a State Department of Public Instruction and, and DNR, you've got to get together and you have to develop a curriculum for a firearm safety course. The course would then be it would be in the discretion of local schools. It wouldn't be mandatory 
that you have that you you offer this but the curriculum would be there so if school districts decided that they want to offer it that they could so again it's not a mandatory thing but if a school district said hey we think this is a good idea we're going to offer it as an elective the kids wouldn't need to take it as a condition of graduating from college from from high school or anything like that but it would be there for school districts, and it would be uniform if school districts wanted to offer it as an elective to their high school students. Um, the, the idea being, hey, Wisconsin is, is a hunting state and that this is, it's good. In addition, you know, we, we have a lot of concerns about firearms and things like that. And a, a situation where you involve like firearm safety and training, um, you know, what, what's the downside of it? Well, predictably, you have at least some Democrats in particular, not all, but some Democrats who are opposed to it. For example, um, Sandy Pope, who's with uh, Cross, uh, who's a Democrat from Cross Plains. This is what she says. She says, I think it's appalling that credit would be given to these classes. Um, She wants the Department of Public Instruction to spend its time on improving curriculum for things like reading, writing or environmental studies. Um, She's also concerned about introducing children Now, in this case, we're talking about high school kids introducing children to firearms. There is a hunting culture that exists, and that's perfectly fine if people want their children to grow up being hunters. But that should remain outside of the school. Apparently, she seems to think that that whole idea of separation of church and state should now, like, involve separation of firearms and and state. Um, When you get to a large city like Milwaukee, Racine, or Kenosha, weapons take on a different meaning to me. She is also uncomfortable with the idea that students would be introduced to handguns. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I have to tell you, this hysteria makes my head want to explode. I see absolutely not, When you look at all the different electives, that are offered today in high schools in Wisconsin and across the country that kids can get credit for all the different electives from basket weaving to whatever. All right. The, the idea that a school could choose to offer a firearm training and safety course. And my understanding is it wouldn't involve live ammunition. It wouldn't involve, you know, going down and shooting guns at the range. I don't think, but it would be explaining like the basics of, of firearm safety. I don't think that that is this. I don't think that this is unreasonable. I actually think that an introduction to how to handle firearms safely in the schools, to me, makes perfect sense. Similar to not exactly parallel, but but similar to like we offer drivers education. Now, this bill also doesn't mandate that schools do that. So again, if you have a school that says, okay, we. If you have a school district, if MPS decides, no, 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 we want to pretend that, you know, firearms don't exist among the the juveniles. And we want to ignore all the stories of the 14-year-olds in Milwaukee who are going out and are carjacking people at gunpoint. If if you want to pretend that guns don't exist, and in the words of this state representative, that, you know, we don't want to introduce uh, children to firearms, I mean, my God, how naive can you possibly be? But if a school district doesn't want to do it, they're not mandated to do it. But if, on the other hand, you have a school district that says, you know what, we think a firearm safety course is, is good to offer as an elective, at least it's there. 
That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Howie in McFarland. Howie, you're first. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. A nice day out there. It is a great day. Well, and an interesting topic. Um, uh, As I spoke to the person who took the call here, Mm -hmm. um, yes, I'm a person who has hunted. I've hunted uh, a little little back in the rearview mirror, but uh, my dad passed, so it's Mm-hmm. Not my life anymore, but my, I guess my feeling is is um, I kind of agree with the idea that the school's got enough to do with you know curriculum. We've been saying you know a long time that kids aren't prepared to go on to the UW and so on because their you know their core mm-hmm. curriculum's getting behind, and maybe they need to focus on that. And on the side of that is though uh, the DNR, which has been doing hunter safety since before dirt or ammunition or hunting. I think the stuff's there. It's available. I don't know. It needs to be in the school with what they have to do. Uh, uh, and I, I guess I'm I'm more comfortable letting the DNR handle as they have with the uh, you know, doing the hunter safety stuff out there. It's out well, there. Don't need to reinvent the wheel. Well, know? I mean, th- th- I guess I, I don't think that this would, by the way, just be limited to hunter safety. I mean, my my understanding this would be a course in, in talking about overall firearm safety and things like that. And don't get me wrong, I'm a guy who for 20 years now has preached about the necess- necessity of trying to teach kids. You know, reading, writing, you know, the, the, the basic sort of stuff, you know, the three R's, even though only one of them starts with R, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. But, but at the same time, th- that ship has sailed. I mean, you look at a lot of the electives, again, that are offered for, for credit. And if you want to have a discussion, should we have electives, you know, should or should we concentrate on core curriculum? I'm very willing to have that discussion. But if we're going to end up having electives that people can get credit for, I, I don't think that this is at least offering this is a, is a bad idea. Now, again, it's not going to be mandatory. I would have a different position on this bill if it said that, all right, every school, every high school in the country has to offer a gun safety course as a condition of of kids being, or they had to take it as a condition of graduating. That's not what this does. This just says we want the Department of Public Instruction to develop a course, and then we want to make it available for schools who choose to offer it. I guess I don't see a downside on it. Like I say, if if you've got a, if MPS is appalled with the idea of oh my gosh, you know we're going to introduce firearms to children. Um, Okay, uh, th- that's fine. But on the other hand, I can see a lot of districts that say, "All right, maybe maybe this I- is good, and maybe this is at least as valuable as basket weaving or something else." Yeah, let's talk to Aaron in Madison. Aaron, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. What do you think? Um, I remember when I was in eighth grade, we had hunters education as a course in school, um, and even kind of like for the last test or whatever, we went to the gun range, and I remember mm-hmm. bringing my a shotgun on the school bus to school. Um, <laughs> You're dating yourself, Aaron. You're dating yourself. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it was even that long ago. I'm I'm 34 now, so it really? wasn't even all that long ago. And um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess it touches some some respect for for firearms, and um, it, it, it seemed like a good thing at, at the time. Well, well, I don't know if they still do that or not? Oh no, I'm. I, 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 right, I, I I doubt it too. Now maybe you have shooting clubs and things like that that are there, but but again, I guess I just I really don't see the downside to something like this giving school districts the opportunity to offer it. Let us say, let, let's take out Milwaukee, but let's say that you've got a a for example a rural school district where you know 
a vast majority of the kids are going to go on, let's say, to be hunters, for example. You know, what's wrong with offering, you know, this type of course, you know, gun safety, firearm safety? I understand there's other places where you could theoretically get it, but what's, what is the downside of, of at least allowing schools to offer it as an elective if they see fit? I don't see the downside. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, see, that's, that, that's it. It's not a mandatory thing, but it's saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to make this available and we're going to have something that's standardized. So, you know, we know, and, and, and again, you have a component of firearms training. You have a component of, you know, safe handling of firearms because the reality is, again, you can stick your head in your sa- in the sand and pretend that, all right, we're not going to be dealing with guns, but, 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 but kids are going to be dealing with guns. Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, you know, um, I have uh, kids in high school. And as, uh, as more and more schools are adding on trap teams and other competitive shooting teams, uh, then the Umbrick system, second right. year in that. But the surrounding schools, Marquette, Mosquito, McGonagall, they've had teams for years. And part of the requirement is some type of gun safety. And this would kind of segue into that. Uh, there were kids this year that wanted to join the team, but they were held back because they didn't have any type of training prior and it's not all hunting competitive shooting is as broad as 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 hunting there's you know pistol rifle shotgun and most of these people never even hunt yeah they wanted to want to learn how to handle firearms and i think this is a a good segue into introducing them into that as well no exactly i mean i i'm I'm with you i mean what again explain to me what the downside is and i understand there's this hysteria that's out there but come on it's 920 this is jeff wagner It's 922. This is Jeff Wagner. That's Philip Phillips performing at the BMO Harris Amphitheater at Summerfest. It's going to be a great night down there. Go out, check it out. John McCure is back at Summerfest this afternoon, and he'll share some unique opportunities for you as the 50th anniversary celebration is underway at the Henry Meyer Festival grounds. It all begins at 3 o'clock. Well, the gates open at noon, but John's show begins at 3 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Check it out live from the big gig. Sponsored by Century Foods. Okay, let's check out our text line on this. Um, I live near Crivets. They let our kids out for deer season. A class of this type would be a welcome addition to the curriculum, I think. That's from Pete. Um, let's see. I have no problem with the firearm safety course as an elective and or a summer school class. However, with so many schools eliminating driver's education and vocational classes over the past several years, I'd rather see those restored first. Well, again, the, the thing to remember about this bill is, it, it wouldn't require a school district to offer this. It, it would just simply say, okay, we have this course out there that you could offer if you see and believe that there is a need. And, and there's a big difference. And, I mean, I, again, I, I think reasonable people could, could disagree. You could say, all right, is it more important to have a firearm safety course or an introduction to gun class? Is that more important than a, a vocational class or is it more important than driver's ed? But that's something for the local school board to decide. I'm not saying that you have to put one over another. I'm saying that's one that it there's, but there's no harm in having this course out there as part of the overall curriculum that people at school boards could then opt in or, or opt out. And I, I have no delusions. I'm, I'm sure that not every school district in the state would decide that we're going to offer this. But for ones that thought, hey, this is a need or this is something that would be appealing to our constituents, well, and what, what's wrong with it? I just don't see a downside. Okay, big story number three. This, in some respects, this shows the hysteria that goes on with regard to immigration. Um, The city of Milwaukee is accused of cooperating with the federal government on immigration enforcement. 
And my response is, yeah. I mean, there, there's a couple of, of these groups that are out there. For example, the, the local one is Votes de la Frontera. They're, they're the ones that, remember a couple weeks ago, they have this press conference where this woman claims that she was stopped by, I believe, the Greendale police, and they questioned her about you know her citizenship and asked her this information. And it turns out that, that it's just, that didn't happen. But yet they, they put her up there and this is, oh, this is terrible. The, the police are doing this. Well, okay, here's the latest story. Apparently, uh, the Milwaukee police have have changed their standard operating procedures, and these new procedures take effect tomorrow. One of the changes, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, eliminates an order, eliminates a directive that officers were not to question any person about his or her immigration status unless the person met a narrow list of criteria. So let's translate this. In other words, the police will have greater freedom to ask questions to determine whether or not somebody is in this country illegally or not. Oh, the horrors. Oh, the horrors that the police might actually be able to ask a couple questions to determine if somebody is here against the law. Another change states that officers shall inform, shall inform federal immigration officials of the whereabouts or behaviors of any suspected illegal immigrant when that person is arrested for a felony or other serious crimes, such as those involving terrorism or street gangs. Okay, let's take a step back here. The Milwaukee police shall inform federal immigration officials about the whereabouts or behaviors of any suspected illegal immigrant when that person is arrested for a felony or other serious crimes, such as those involving terrorism or street gangs. So the police arrest some gangbanger for, I I don't know, conspiracy to do whatever. And they have reason to believe, so he's been arrested and charged with a felony, they have reason to believe that the guy might be in this country illegally. They shall notify immigration officials about this. Oh, the horrors. I, I mean, okay, I, I'm, I'm listening and I'm reading the story about this outrage in this group. Oh, this is just terrible. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, maybe this is another one that I'm missing something this morning, but... I. Excuse me, I am not going to be outraged over a directive that says that if somebody is arrested and charged with a felony and the police think that the person is in this country illegally, they shall contact immigration and let them know so they can investigate. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with saying that officers um, now have the ability to you know, question somebody about their immigration status? I mean, is I, I, this outrage that's here? What what part of again illegally in the country do not people understand? And don't the police have an obligation? I mean, imagine the situation: you arrest somebody for a felony. You have reason to believe that the person might not be legally in this country. You're you're not supposed to. It, it's a horrible thing that you're going to contact immigration and say, "Hey, we just picked this guy up for." you know, cocaine dealing or weapons possession, you know, we have questions about his immigration status. Is any reasonable person really going to have a problem with that? I sure don't. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, The city of Milwaukee is now being accused of cooperating with the federal government on immigration enforcement. My question is, 
And your point is, we discuss next. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. But you got a heart so big, it could crush this town, and I can't hold out forever. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Have the policies of the Trump administration affected the travel industry? That, by the way, is Tom Petty, of course, performing tonight as the headliner at Summerfest. Have the policies of the Trump administration affected the travel industry? And if so, how? John McCure shares that somewhat surprising answer at 420 today during Wisconsin's afternoon news as he broadcasts live from Summerfest that is sponsored by Century Foods. See, here's what's what's going on now. Um, The Trump administration is is cracking down on sanctuary cities. Matter of fact, I think there's going to be legislation that moves through Congress that probably does that as well. But the idea being that you have some of these cities who are deciding to decline to cooperate with federal immigration officials with regard to identifying people who are in this country illegally. Now, the, the definition of sanctuary city is sort of broad and a number of communities that say they are sanctuary cities really, when the metal meets the meat, say, well, we know we say that, but we're, we're not really that. Uh, Milwaukee County, for example, you remember the Clown Car Act that is the county board, passed a series of resolutions um, saying, okay, we're essentially, you know, we, we value the rights of immigrants. Well, I mean, everybody should value the rights of immigrants but that, and the, the contribution they have to the community. But that's not the same as saying, gee, you have somebody who comes into this country illegally and commits crimes that we're going to turn a blind eye to this. So Milwaukee County issues this, this resolution essentially saying we're going to tell the, the federal government to jump in the lake. They get a letter from the federal government saying, all right, just so you know, you are putting all sorts of federal money at risk. And then late last week, you have the the attorneys from Milwaukee County who write a letter saying, forget whatever the Clown Car Act that is the county board is is saying, we we comply with federal law. These resolutions that they're passing are pretty much meaningless and, and don't take our money away. The policy changes that the Milwaukee police have apparently made are are designed to, again, once again, make sure and make it clear that the Milwaukee Police Department is in compliance with the federal rules with regard to, you know, cooperating with federal officials. Now, if some people don't like that, my response is, is too bad. But the idea that somebody can be charged with a felony while they are in this country illegally and that anybody thinks that the Milwaukee Police Department should not be contacting immigration officials and saying, hey, this guy that we think just been involved in two or three murders or whatever, that, that person, by the way, we think they're in the country illegally. That this, this should be a secret. The fact that anybody thinks that this is reasonable or good policy demonstrates just how crazy some folks are when it comes to the whole immigration official thing. And I understand that you've got some of these groups that are pressuring the mayor. Mayor's not responding except to say, hey, I, I value the, the role that immigrants play, but that doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to people who come into this country and commit crimes, period. All right. Why are some people pigs? Uh, I just, all right, the the 3rd of July 
is is a big deal at the lakefront. You have the fireworks show that is put on. It is just spectacular. Last night at parks all across um, southeastern Wisconsin, all across Wisconsin, you had local parks that staged these different fireworks shows. Now, I remember a few years ago, I was filling in on this shift. I was doing, I, I would fill in for, for Charlie when he was gone. And we were broadcast, back then, we didn't get the 4th of July off. Our current management is enlightened, and so they do other things. But back then, had to brought we we started we did Fourth of July shows, and we that was during the run of Summerfest. And for reasons that I'm not exactly clear on, um, they would send me down to Summerfest to do the show at eight thirty, even though Summerfest gates don't open until noon. But all right, that that was previous management, whatever. So I I would remember I remember there's one Fourth of July, I'm driving from my house in the North Shore down Lake Drive and Lincoln Memorial Drive on my way to the Summerfest grounds on the morning of July 4th. And I drove past, uh, again, where the fireworks had been the, the night before. And I swear, I swear it looked like one of those cities in Germany after World War II when the bombs fell. It was just a complete and total mess. There, there, were, there, there was garbage all over the place. And I remember being completely and totally, you know, struck by the fact that you have people who, you know, come out and take advantage of this wonderful civic thing and then decide that they're just not going to clean up after themselves, that they don't, you know, you don't bring a garbage bag or two or three garbage bags and you don't take your garbage bags with you when when you leave. I mean, it was just appalling. Now, yesterday morning, I, I did not go down to the lakefront. I was somewhere else. But I was watching this report actually on, on Fox 6, and they had the images of, of the lakefront, you know, in, in the morning. Now, I, this is, by the way, not a criticism of the parks at all because essentially after the fireworks end, you know, they send an army of workers out to clean up after people. And, and so, you know, and I, I know people are, are the people who are working are doing their absolute best to clean up. But the bigger story is the people who just decide that they, they don't have to clean up after themselves. And, and again, the, the pictures in this Fox 6 story tells me that, you know, last or two nights ago when this happened, it's no different than when I saw it a couple of years ago. People just deciding we're going to come out to these events and we're not going to pick up after ourselves. We're just going to head out and we're going to expect it to be somebody else's problem. Oh, beer cans or soda cans or potato chip bags or whatever. Yeah, we'll just kind of leave them there. Somebody else will pick up for them. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess this mindset is just mind-boggling to me because it wouldn't occur to me to go to a, a public park to watch fireworks. And I don't care whether you're in the lakefront or July 3rd or whether you're you know, in Menominee Falls. I was at the Menominee Falls fireworks and parades on uh, the evening of the 3rd. And then uh, last night it was the Whitefish Bay Parade. It, uh, I was at the Whitefish Bay fireworks. But it, it wouldn't occur to me if I was sitting in a park watching these things not to – I don't know, not to pick up after myself and my group and just leave the trash behind. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is kind of a why question. why, Why are people pigs? Or at least why are some people pigs? And why do some people feel this entitlement that, you know, we're going to go to these public places and we just... You know, we can just leave our garbage behind and somebody else will take care of it. 414-799-1620. And I just, I, I, 
I think I just see more and more of this going on. Okay, we discuss next. Um, has that been your experience when you go to these things? You drive by the next day and you go, my God. I mean, it does. It It looks like a tornado hit a Walmart or something. You know, there's just stuff left all over. And I understand there's people out there that, that clean it up. But um, they're there to clean up after you. But it's not like it's maid service. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 944. This is Jeff Wagner. Show them all I know now. Show them. It's 946. That's James Arthur. He's performing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage at Summerfest this evening. One city lawmaker is calling for tougher drinking water standards in Milwaukee, but the health department is pushing back. Where do you come down? Get the story and join the discussion with Scafidi and Bill Stat. That is today at 120. They are broadcasting live from Summerfest, sponsored by Century Foods. Okay, I was telling the story a few years ago. I was working at Summer, I was broadcasting the eighth of this shift from, from Summerfest. As I was driving past the lakefront on July 4th, the morning after the 3rd, it, it looked, I mean, it was just, it was amazing how how decimated the lakefront was, just garbage all over. The people who had gone down to the fireworks show, they would just leave stuff behind. And then, of course, expecting that somebody else, the parks workers in this case, are going to come and have to clean up after them. doesn't look like anything has changed from the pictures I saw about the third. And I'm I just, who, who goes to these things and just decides to leave their stuff behind, figuring somebody's going to clean up after them? Let's start with Debbie in Oconomowoc. Debbie, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I, I find it appalling, um, the mess that gets left behind. It makes you wonder, you know, how do these people live? And why do they think it's right that they should bring it in, leave it, and not, not take it back with them? Yeah, I mean, and it, again, it, I mean, there's going to be somebody that's going to be using the park the, the next day, and if, if a community is good enough to pay for fireworks or to pay for all the stuff that's going on, you know, why, why don't people realize that they have to clean up after themselves? You, it does make you wonder how, whether it, is that just how they live, or is it a deal where um, it's just somebody else's problem? I'm going to treat it like a rental car. It's not my big, it's, it's not my problem. I'm just going to leave. Exactly. And then, you know, is the day going to come where we aren't going to have this, the fireworks because of the costs involved? and having to pay people to clean up after it. Well, well right. I mean, it, it, to me, it's, it's just one of, thanks for the call, Debbie, it's just one of these things, it's just, it's just flat rude. <laughs> There's just no question about it. I mean, look, I, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to go to the fireworks, wherever you're going to the fireworks, you're going to set up, you're going to have your grills, you're going to have, you know, you're, you're bringing your beer, you're bringing your soda, you're bringing your munchies, whatever that type of stuff is. Okay, don't you bring a couple garbage bags and understand that, all right, when the thing is over or as we're finished with what we're ever doing, here's what we're going to do. We're going to collect the stuff around us, and then, you know, we're going to – if if the garbage cans are overflowing or whatever, we'll take it with us. You know, we'll we'll just take that garbage bag with us and we'll we'll throw it out when we get home. Let's talk to Jim in Whitefish Bay. Jim, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Hi, thanks, Jeff, Hi, Jim. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I read my paper every morning in Clody Park here in the middle of Whitefish Bay, right. and when I arrived this morning, it. The scene you described at the lakefront is no different here. Really? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I I believe that 
uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to think. I was just startled when I saw it. Okay, so this, I mean, matter of fact, I, I'll be honest with you, Jim. Clody Park is where I, I have friends that live just south of Clody Park, and so we go and watch them in their backyard. So I, I did walk up. There was a ton of people there. They have a big, Whitefish Bay does a great job. They have stuff going on all day. I didn't drive by there this morning, but it, it's it's a mess this morning, huh? It, Certainly is. Again, I mean, I, I don't know that there is an answer to this, and that's one of the frustrating things, except some people are pigs. There's just no way around it. I mean, who, who just... Evidently, who, evidently I, I don't understand it. No, th- thanks. I mean, I, I don't either. And that's, again, I, you know, I mean, you know, wonderful thing. And look, and I understand that, like, at the lakefront, they have an army of, of public, you know, employees, you know, who go and they, they pick up after people, but it, it shouldn't... It shouldn't be that way. I mean, you, you just shouldn't leave your crap behind, and yet so many people think that it's an entitlement to do that. Joe on the south side. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I worked for the county for uh, 10 years, about 30 years ago, at McKinley Marina, and I used to pick that crap up every every. <laughs> Fourth of July. I mean, it was it was our job. Yeah, and and and, and there'd be guys down there with them finding uh, coin finding machines, and they're look picking up change that fall fall out of people's pockets. <laughs> and so you got a, you got about a dozen or two dozen of them guys down there every every fourth looking <laughs> for money. But find and, was it at least the dough? I, I, I put a stick. With a nail in it. Yeah, well, yeah, see, now, I at least, like, if there's quarters or dimes or nickels or whatever, that's stuff that people didn't know that they were leaving. A lot of the, st- most of the stuff, though, hey, you know that you're leaving, you know, a half dozen beer cans behind and you're not picking them up. I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me that people do that. Yeah, you know, I, I when I was picking that up, I used to think, what would be a, a better solution? And I was like, why don't they have boxes that are garbage bags and then hand them out to groups, you know, people? Here, here's a garbage bag. When you're done, you know, put all your mess in a garbage bag, tie it up, and leave it right where you're sitting. That way they can just pick up the bags and go. If they, they give them something to put in it, because when you've got a thousands, thousands of people on top of each other and then they're all leaving at the same time, nobody's going to pick their garbage up and, and, and walk into a garbage can that's well, full and got stuff sitting next well, to it. Because every garbage can has bags full yeah. next to it and then nobody's coming and picking that up until the next day so there's nowhere for people to put that so well, but at the same time can, but, but see i mean thanks but see but a lot of the stuff I, i'm not talking about some i mean right if everybody okay let's say the trash cans are full so if everybody just took all their stuff put it in the garbage bag tied it and, and left it there that that would be one thing but as you were saying that's not what's happening i mean you've got you know, you've, you've got people that just it's, it's beer cans all over it's it's plastic cups it's just crap you know you're walking around with the nail and the stick picking those things up like like that now i mean i guess maybe if you I don't know if you, I mean, all right, how much trouble is it to bring a garbage bag? I mean, seriously, you're, you're, you're planning a picnic or you're going to sit out and you're bringing the cooler. How much trouble? I mean, I don't know that, you, I don't know that you should have to give somebody, here, here's a garbage bag. You know, we, we, you know, people should, people should know that. Now, I, I know there's a couple communities, for example, they have, um, like stations where you, you automatically, you can find like a plastic bag. West Bend is like this. There's certain walking trails where they have like plastic bags for like, you can, in case you forget yours and your, your dog does his or her business, it's business there. But I mean, 
But I mean, really, do we get to a point where we have to give somebody, hey, you're going, you're going to X Park on the 3rd or the 4th of July to watch the fireworks, and you're bringing a cooler full of stuff. Here, we're going to give everybody a plastic bag. No, you should know to bring your bags along. Okay, Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, thanks for taking my Hi, call, Noah. Jeff. Uh, I've been going on to the Milwaukee fireworks for all 30 years I've been alive. We look at it. We, we go down in the early morning at least, sometimes the night before, camp out, hang out all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we look at it like camping anywhere else. You take a garbage bag, you clean up after yourself. Yeah. I don't know when that became not common sense, that when you camp out, you clean up after yourself. I will say your your last caller made me feel a little better because every year we do tie off that garbage bag and then leave it there for the city to pick up. Well, sure. Um, but but you but but, but, but you picked up your garbage. It's in a bag. Well, right. So somebody, at least it's collected, and the idea is, yeah, then the city just has to walk through and pick up a bunch of bags, and it shouldn't be a big deal. Um, and it does worry me that these slobs are going to get this canceled. This is a really cool thing the city of Milwaukee does. There's almost nowhere else that you can go down and hang out in a public park and, and camp out the night before and, and hang out all day for oh, yeah. fireworks. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, and it's a great fireworks show every year. And well, and we're going to lose it because these slobs won't just pick up right. their crap. Well, well it's, it's, no, it, that's right. And, and it's not just, I mean, it's not just the 3rd of July fireworks at, at the lakefront. It's all the local parks and the local communities. Who, like I say, I... I I was in Menominee Falls on on uh, on the third. That would be Mon- I'm losing track of days. <laughs> this week has kind of gotten away from me. But I'm on Menominee, Menominee Falls. They have a parade on the third. They have fireworks. They shoot off from the high school. I mean, there there were thousands and thousands of people there. Um, and and the group I was with, they had done the same thing. They had staked out their space for a day and a half. Somebody sat with the whole area. But you know, the, the last forty five minutes before people leave. Well, it's actually you don't even wait till it's over. You know, there's a the parade ends. There's a little gap between the fireworks. Everybody starts cleaning up after themselves. And the people who were organizing it, they take the responsibility of, okay, we're going to take this stuff away. You're not going to leave the stuff there. Um, But it's not just the 3rd of July fireworks there. It's kind of all over. And you you do wonder whether or not at some point in time these local communities are going to say, hey, the cost of this is, is just too great. Why can't we just all clean up after themselves? Why are some people just pigs? I understand it is a rhetorical question. I don't have a good answer for it, but it's frustrating. It's 956. This is Jeff Wagner. It's ten oh eight, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Um, our, our text line just exploded with stories about um, <laughs> just the, the garbage down at, at, at lakefronts or or, or, or the lakefront or, or whatever. I mean, it, it, you go to these public places, and you, for in most cases, I, I think people would never think of not cleaning up after themselves. But there's something about this like communal experience. Hey, we're going to go. It's the Fourth of July. Oh, it's too much trouble. Why, why, why do we need to put our garbage in a garbage bag? Somebody else will pick it up. Yeah, well, clean up after yourself. Speaking of um, public parks, this is this is just one of these amazing stories. And and I try to be an equal opportunity guy when it comes to politicians, whether they're Republican or Democrat, that do really like dumb things. And you know, Chris Christie, whose political career is pretty much over. You know, he wanted to be president, that didn't work out. He aligned himself with Donald Trump, and uh, then Trump kind of kicked him to the curb when uh, Christie became a hot potato. Um, New Jersey has 
unlike the state of Wisconsin, okay, the state of Wisconsin, if they don't reach a budget deal, while it is embarrassing that they haven't reached a budget deal, the state does not shut down. Uh, the Everything continues to be funded just at last year's level. So there's not the sense of urgency that there is, for example, if the federal government runs out of money or if other, you know, um, or other states, if they run out of money. Now, in New Jersey, there is, again, it's if they don't get a budget done, the state runs out of money and theoretically, you know, has to suspend operations. Now, we all know that there's ways around it. But what happened is New Jersey was in the middle of a budget crisis as well. They didn't get their budget done in time. So we, we had to theoretically the state shut down. So what they did is they went out and they, they said, OK, we're we're public par- the state parks. They're, they're not open. Um, you know, state buildings, we're going to close all these down, all these different types of things. Now, again, you can argue whether that was overly dramatic or not, but, but it's, it's what happened. So last weekend, you had, um, people in New Jersey who wanted to go and get access. Okay, it's the fourth, of, it's the weekend before the fourth of July. People wanted to go into state parks, use some of the state beaches, things like that. You couldn't get access to them. They, they were closed. So, you know, you'd pull up at the gates to, let's say you're up in Door County. You want to drive through Peninsula State Park. You know, you pull up and it's, it's closed. Uh, budget cuts have closed these. So people are, are not happy. They're not able to get through this. They don't understand the budget process, whatever. Well, Chris Christie, th- there is a, a governor's residence. That is located inside, you know, one of the state parks. It's called Island Beach State Park, and it, it's right on the Atlantic. I mean, it's just apparently it's a very nice thing. And one of the residences the governor has is located inside this state park. Well, Island Beach State Park is closed to the general public. Now, it's not closed to the governor because the governor, he's got a residence there. That's one of the places where they live. So it's closed to the general public. Well, what happens is Christie and his family, they helicopter into the thing, and then there's apparently a wonderful beach that people come to you know, during the summer, and they, they hang out at, at this beach. Well, um, you can, the average person can't get to it because the park is closed. But since there's the governor's residence there, Christie and his family go out, and they're frolicking essentially by themselves on, on this beach. And the news media, of course, gets wind of it, and he says, well... I don't care if it's bad political optics. I don't care about that. I'm the people's governor, and here the guy is on this sort of private beach. Now, they ended up settling the budget dispute, so now everything's open. But there, there's these images of Christie, and he's saying, well, I, I don't think it was bad. Look, I, I understand sometimes you know we, we put form over substance, but at the same time, I, I mean, really? These particular politicians, all right, there's a budget crisis. The average person can't get access to this beach, but you're the governor, so now you're going to turn it into your own private beach, and you don't care about that? Well, that kind of tells me that um, he recognizes that his political career is pretty much over, that you don't... I understand sometimes we can be too obsessed with optics, but in this case, it was about as bad an optic as you can possibly imagine. All right, um, Saturday. I drove down, I went to see the Zach Brown show at Summerfest. So I drove down the lakefront. That's how I, I got to Summerfest. And I actually drove past the area where the man was shot a couple weeks ago. Remember, this was the guy who um, was on Lincoln Memorial Drive. The deputy attempted to stop his vehicle because he failed to obey a traffic sign. The guy took off, and this was like this warm summer night, took off. 
high-speed chase, kind of went up the hill down there, then doubled through traffic, came back across the grass, um, ended up going up on a median strip and driving straight at a deputy. The deputy pulled out his gun and shot. Everybody remembers that story. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with that area. I drive that a lot. But on Saturday, on my way down to Summerfest, I, I drove down there, and I, I remember – I just I took a look at it because now I mean I'd seen the videotape of this you know I'd seen the video and I, and I guess I I understood how dangerous and reckless it was but looking at that scene firsthand and seeing you can tell pretty much where it was that the guy tried to flee from the cops and you can see the you can you know you sit there and you can visualize now you see in person the the field that he kind of drove over and jumped the curb you can see exactly where all this happened and I guess I look at this and I was kind of struck again seeing it in person. How dramatic and how dangerous the behavior of the driver was. I was thinking about that because there's a story in the Journal Sentinel, I think yesterday. Family of man killed by Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputy asks for justice. Family and friends of uh, the man who was shot last month by a Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department officer gathered outside Summerfest's main gate Tuesday asking for justice. All right, about a dozen people, including his family, held up a memorial pamphlet with photos of the man as they stood outside Summerfest for about 20 minutes shortly before 8 p.m. We can't have peace until we have justice, the guy's cousin said. Um, the deputy was assigned to foot duty at the lakefront, was on the median, and fired into the vehicle. The video shows, after you shot him, why keep shooting, said the family members. Family members said Tuesday they did not know if they would file a lawsuit in his death. But what, what struck me is that the family members of this guy who started the whole thing by fleeing are, are saying, we can't have peace until we have justice. We are asking for justice following the shooting death of this guy. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They are demanding justice. You know, I was I was struck by this because I was thinking, what exactly in a case like this, what is what is justice? I mean, what what is justice that they are demanding? See, to me, justice is determining whether or not laws were followed and whether conduct was reasonable. And I'll, I'll tell you. Based on everything I've seen, including examining and looking at exactly where this happened, I mean, it is unfortunate, it is tragic, but to bring charges, for example, against the sheriff's deputy in connection with this case, that would not be justice. That would be giving into, in this case, small mob mentality. It is unfortunate that this young man lost his life. But the truth of the matter is, he lost his life as a result of irresponsible and dangerous conduct that he engaged in, putting the lives of lots of people in jeopardy. It is unfortunate that this happened. That deputy, I guarantee you, didn't go to work at the lakefront that day saying, gee, I hope somebody tries to run me down in a van fleeing from officers and I have to pull out my gun and fire shots. But justice in these cases, you know, what is justice? Would justice really be bringing charges against the officer? I don't think so. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. What What is what is justice in, in a case like this? What are they demanding? Are they really demanding justice, or they are, amount, are they demanding some form of retribution that isn't, isn't really required? We discuss next. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is, of course, Tom Petty performing this evening at the uh, American Family Insurance Amphitheater at Summerfest. Tonight and tomorrow, Tom uh, Petty. Just You want to talk about a great Americana, the, the great American rock and roll songbook. Tom Petty has it, and he puts on a great show. Check it out. All right. I, I, I was struck by the, this story. Um, the family of the, the young man who was shot and killed a couple weeks ago trying to flee from police at the lakefront Everybody's now seen the video, driving in a reckless fashion, driving towards the sheriff's deputy who pulled out his gun and shot. They're, they're outside of Summerfest. They are demanding justice. We can't have peace until we have justice. I thought it was interesting. seems to me what they mean is that they think justice means we need to have this officer charged with a crime. Well, all right, maybe justice is saying, you know what, the officer did nothing wrong. I don't think that's the justice that they're talking about, but I think that's really what justice is. Pat in Brookfield. Pat, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Now, good morning. I taught my children at an early age, four of them, that bad decisions have bad results, and I let them live with their bad decisions. And I taught them good decisions have good results, and they learned from that, too. And in this case, the young man made several bad decisions, and he paid the price. To me, that's in the story. Yeah, and, and that's I mean, and that's that's what justice is. Sometimes, I mean, justice isn't always we're going to bring criminal charges against somebody for something that that we didn't like or we don't like the outcome or we're unhappy with the outcome. Sometimes justice is saying, okay, what's the law? What are the facts? And in this case, Pat, you're exactly right. This this was a series of bad decisions that this right. young man made that put a lot of people's lives at risk and. I don't see criminal charges as being justice, and I don't expect that there's going to be criminal charges in this case. Uh, I hope not, because uh, to me it's very clear cut. Well, right. I mean, th- I mean, I just now I that was when this thing first happened, and we discussed it. Just the descriptions you were hearing that was pretty clear. I think you you look at this video. I mean, you look at the the sheriff's deputy, the the dash cam video they have of this, and you you just understand how reckless, how irresponsible, how dangerous. This particular behavior was. And again, I appreciate that you've got a grieving family. I understand that. They are upset that they, you know, a family member or the loved one is gone. I get all that. I, and and it's, it, it's horrible. But th- this idea that, well, you know, criminal charges are what justice is. Well, no, no, that's not necessarily justice. Like I say, anytime you got a bad outcome doesn't always mean that Justice is, we've got to bring somebody to trial. Oh, this awful police officer. Let's see, we have a text here. Um, I'm finding myself becoming more and more frustrated with this every day. Justice was served. I understand that certain members of the community are upset, but we all follow the same moral handbook, the same code of conduct. What are these people talking about? Everything that happens has been brought upon themselves. If you don't believe that, you are, you know, you're, you're just kidding your um, self. Yeah. Um, somebody else says justice equals money. I don't know if this is set up there. Say they're not going to file a lawsuit. Well, that's what people always say. And then, you know, always end up having the lawsuits. And that that's fine. That's a different standard of proof. But this idea, I mean, we can't have peace until we have justice. Well, all right. Maybe, just maybe, you have justice. Now, will there be peace? Um, just saying. It's 1023. This is Jeff Wagner. Because I'm going to make this place your home.
It's 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's Philip Phillips. He is performing this evening at the uh, BMO Harris Pavilion at Summerfest. It's going to be an absolutely outstanding night. And this, this is the thing. We wait all year for Summerfest, and it's already, you know, what more than half over i mean you've got uh today you've got five days left of summerfest so if you haven't been down there check it out like i said i was there on saturday night and um it was it was crowded but at the same time it, it was it was a good mellow crowd it was everybody was having a good time and i don't know there's something and i, I don't do crowds well it's like i'm not sure i ever did crowds well but as i get older i have less and less tolerance for crowds but the truth is it, I, I don't know whether it's the infrastructure that's improved or whatever, but you know, even you know, standing in line for five or ten minutes to get a, a special kind of beer or to get your, you know, fried eggplant or whatever, it didn't didn't seem didn't seem that bad. I mean, it was just it was just a good event. So go check out the Summerfest. All right, Journal Sentinel has this story. It's um, Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley, who is of course wealthy beyond imagination, based in large part on on inherited wealth. He's um, it's no secret that Abley has been willing to write checks to go after his political opponents. He spent, what, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to defeat David Clark a couple years ago. That failed. Um, Journal Sentinel reporting that um, Abley is at it again. You know, he's he's writing big checks to fund efforts to go after various of his political opponents. He's apparently set up a website called Send the Message – Send – Send Theo a message. This is directed at the Milwaukee County Board Chairman Theo Lipscomb. Um, and the website accuses Lipscomb of blocking efforts to fund a local juvenile detention center, uh, picking a fight over the zoo, suing to slash pay for some of Abley's top appointees. Tell County Board Chair Theo Lipscomb, stop playing politics and do what's right for Milwaukee County. Um, the campaign, again, it's largely self-funded by Abley, paying for a five-digit digital ad campaign, criticizing Lipscomb along the same lines. The ads appear on Facebook, Instagram, various websites, including the Journal and um, our sister TV station, WTMJ-TV. Um, apparently, you know, this is not, of course, the first time that Abley's done this. There are um, other indications that he was also the principal funder behind uh, another organization, uh, something called Milwaukee Works. Um, there's a state lawmaker who's been, you know, accused ably of doing this. Um, it sends out postcards and publishes ads critical of opponents to the county executive. The group went after Senator Chris Larson, who's a very left-wing Milwaukee Democrat, and and, and others. So. Uh, reports are that Abley is using his wealth to try to do this. And again, I don't, by the way, I don't have any problem with this. And it is sort of interesting to me to, you know, watch the dispute. This isn't Republicans and Democrats. This is the left-leaning county executive of Milwaukee County who's using apparently his resources to go after, you know, some of his even further left-leaning opponents. And it's kind of interesting for me to sit back and watch the entire thing. Uh, and so, and I also, I mean, I have no problem with Abley spending his own money to do this. I, I do think if you're a public official and you're going to do it, you should have the guts to do it and, and be honest about it. So that this Milwaukee works. If Abley is really the guy who is writing the checks, whether he's doing it directly or indirectly, Abley should at least have the guts to come forward and say that I'm, I'm doing this. All right. This is I am the one that is funding this. This is Donald Trump takes to Twitter. I don't have as many Twitter followers. So what I'm doing is I, I'm paying for the, these groups to go after my opponents. I don't think there's any problem at all actually with doing that. But I do think 
um, if the county executive is going to be the bankrolling these things, he should have the guts to come out and say, yeah, I'm, I'm bankrolling the, these things. Now, this one website appears to be that's that's the case. It's no secret. He's the one that's paying for it. Um, some of these other they call, the paper will call them shadowy groups. I don't care. You know, some of these other groups, if it's being largely funded by Chris Abley, I mean, just Chris Abley, come on out. Do the honorable thing and say, hey, that you're the one, the funding source behind it, and this is how you're using, you know, you're using your resources to go after them. Nothing wrong with that at all. Just, you know, show some class and acknowledge that you're the one that's giving the money. I especially think that's true if you are a public official. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. July 5th. I tell you, summer. I, I, I know I know it's not technically accurate, but July, the, the 4th of July has always been for me sort of an unofficial midway part of, of summer. Now, I, I understand I can look at a calendar and I understand that, you know, summer you know, runs through September and stuff. But, you know, I, I always think of summer as starting in June and I mean, it runs through August. So maybe the 4th of July, it's always kind of like, okay, we're, the days are now starting to get shorter. Isn't that tough? But, but still lots of summer around, go out and enjoy it. The man accused of plotting to shoot up the Masonic Center in downtown Milwaukee wants out of jail and his lawyer is making a somewhat surprising argument for his release. Scafidi and Billstadt weigh in on how the judge should rule. Check it out at one thirty-five this afternoon. They are broadcasting live from Summerfest, sponsored by Century Foods. All right, I was talking the other day to a friend of mine who, for a period of time, was an emergency room doctor. And we were talking about the larger issues of health care because I'm always, it, look, figuring out, replace Obamacare, repeal Obamacare, modify Obamacare, I, I mean, it's, it's candidly probably a decision made by smarter minds than mine. But there's all sorts of different aspects of, of the problems we have with our, our the way we deliver medical care in, in this country. Um, we, we talk a lot about, for example, pre-existing condition coverage, the idea that you know, somebody who's I don't know, been in the insurance system for 30 years, you lose your job suddenly, you, you can't get affordable insurance, and then you can't get new insurance because you've got diabetes or something else. You know, there needs to be some way of, of accommodating that. But then what do you do with somebody who makes the decision not to have insurance, and then suddenly they have some catastrophic illness, and then they want to be covered by the government? You know, how, how, can, how can you reconcile all that? So we were talking about those different issues. And, and then he brought up something extremely interesting, and it's uh, funny because we talked about it about a week ago, and there's a, there's a story that kind of dovetails on this in USA Today. Because my friend who was the emergency room doc was saying, you would be amazed, Jeff, at the number of people who both either are uninsured or have insurance who come into the emergency room for conditions that are not emergencies. You know, and, and he was just telling me stories. He said, you know, people, you know, on, on a week, okay, now the reality is emergency room coverage is extremely expensive. You know, if you wait 
to to go to an emergent clinic if uh, if instead of on Sunday afternoon you you go into the emergency room at a hospital if instead you wait till Monday and go to one of the dock in the box things one of the the emergent clinics it's it's going to be a lot less if you wait and make an appointment at your own physician it's going to be less than that now there's obviously going to be situations where you you need to go to the emergency room you think you're having a heart attack. You've just had an accident in the kitchen and you've sliced open your hand and you've got a gaping wound. Um, somebody is choking and can't breathe. And so, I mean, there are, are legitimate emergencies that are out there. But what this guy I know who worked in the emergency room was saying, he said, you know, I'll, I'll bet you at least a third, maybe more, of the, the patients that come into the emergency rooms, they're not emergencies. They're things that, that could, in fact, could wait. Um, but rather, it's like, okay, gee, I've, I've got the headache. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm wondering if I have brain cancer. No, you just you you have you have a headache. Um, gee, I've got I I just pounded back you know six Italian sausage sandwiches and I've got indigestion. I wonder if I'm having a heart attack. No, you you've got indigestion. But and and again, sometimes people don't know that. But but he said a lot of people that present th- these are not medical emergencies now the way that the law works there is a law that goes back to 1985 federal law that requires emergency departments to stabilize and treat anyone entering their doors regardless of the ability to pay so emergency rooms really it's very difficult for them to turn someone away because the law says you have to um you have to stabilize and treat anybody that comes in entering their doors. But if you've got an enormous number of people who are presenting themselves with situations that are not emergencies and then running the meter on these costs, what that means is we all end up paying for it. And we're going to continue to pay for it, whether it's through Obamacare or whether it's through national health insurance or single payer or you know, going back to the old system. And my, my, the guy I know who's the emergency room doctor was saying, well, he said, this is something that we got to get a handle on because his point was we should be able, if we recognize that you've got somebody here who is, some cases he was telling me the stories, you've got the chronic over-treaters, the people who just kind of, you know, oh, I've got a hangnail, I'm running to the emergency room. He was saying, you know, one of the things that we could do to dramatically reduce health care costs is if we limited access to emergency rooms to the true emergencies and, you know, uh, allowed us more leeway in saying this isn't an emergency situation. I mean, I understand you go in with appendicitis. Yeah, yes, you're going to get treated. I understand you're having a heart attack. I, I get it. But apparently a lot of the use of these emergency rooms aren't from people who have genuine emergencies. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If somebody goes into an emergency room with something, a condition that really isn't an emergency, should they be able to turn them away? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right now, the law requires anybody that walks through those doors has to be treated and stabilized, stabilized and treated, regardless of ability to pay. Well, in a lot of cases, that makes sense. You don't want some poor person who's coming in, um, doesn't have insurance, they've got a heart attack, you let them die. But what about the person who just walks in off the street because, gee, I, I need a Band-Aid because I scratched myself, right? Should we be more flexibility in saying, no, this is not an emergency, 
get out of the emergency room, you know, call your doctor, go to the doc in the box, go down to the pharmacy and buy Band-Aids. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm going to love you till my lungs give out. I promise till death we part. It's 1045. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That's James Arthur. He's performing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage at Summerfest this evening. Um, it, it, look, there's all sorts of issues. When we talk about the whole health care thing, I have always argued that you, you folk, one part of the thing is insurance. How do you insure people? The other part is, is how do you try to rein in medical costs? Because if costs for um, providing services continue to go up at 6 or 8 or 10% a year, that's, that's going to be ultimately unsustainable. You have to look at both sides of the equation. Um, there's a story in USA Today that's bringing you back to a conversation I had with a guy who was an emergency room doctor for years, and one of his frustrations was how many people would present at emergency rooms with conditions that, that weren't emergencies, stuff that, that could wait, or the chronic, the over-treaters, the people you see three or four times um, because it, it's convenient. Gee, it's Sunday night. Um, I, I, I'll go in. I, I don't want to take a morning off of work to go to the walk-in clinic or to call my doctor. Now, of course, the balancing is I, I understand if somebody's got a true emergency situation, you, you don't want them waiting. If you think you're having a heart attack, you want to get in there right away. You're having an appendix attack. You know, you, you're going there right away. But but his point was a lot of the care that's being given in these emergency rooms isn't really emergencies, and it's driving up costs. Let's talk to Dan in Green Bay. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Uh, looking at the overall situation on here, uh, there's so many variables. Uh, I've, uh, myself, you know, I've worked in our healthcare field, so I know what you're talking about, and plus uh, my own experiences on there, you know, that uh, when I went up to the emergency room, you know, with a, with a symptom, you know, mm-hmm. that I thought needed emergency care, they made a choice there because they have the knowledge right. of whether it was an emergency or whether, uh, you know, I needed to go to urgent care. In which case, I went to urgent care, and I still got to see a doctor right away, but at a lower cost. Right. So in that manner, you know, looking at that, that's one aspect. But the other aspect, now, I, got, I had clientele. I'm retired now, but I had clientele that I, I was forced to take to the hospital because I can't, uh, I can't stop them from going, okay? Right. And all they wanted to do was go there and have a soda pop of all stupid things. But, I mean, I had to take them. Right. It's required by law. So when you look at that aspect, saying, well, that was a waste of people's time, and you try to explain it to them, you know, especially when you got mentally ill people, you can't, you can't get that point across. But then the other point that I'm looking at, too, and, and the expenses of health care costs, some of these hospitals are getting so big that that they rule the area. In other words, in Green Bay, we have five hospitals, right. so one got really big now over the past ten years, and it's unreal for the other three hospitals or four hospitals to survive. And put, you know, one of the hospitals there out of the five is a VA hospital. So, right. Well, see, Dan. You know, I mean, it's just I mean, no. aspect. You got all this health care, and you got all these costs associated with it. Yeah, and see, and, and I get a, right, and I see, Dan. I mean, no, thanks, and see, and I, I and there, there's all sorts of aspects. Don't don't get me started. That's a whole other topic about 
you know, the, the explosion we've had with building hospitals and Taj Mahal hospitals. And look, and I, and I understand if, if you're a patient, gee, it's just, it's so incredible. You go into these birthing rooms for these birthing wings that they have, and it's just incredible. And, and it's like, you know, luxury hotels. And I understand that makes it appealing to the patients, but there's, of course, you know, it's, it's the rest, it's everybody that's paying for this, you know, as well. So that, I think that's clearly an aspect, but I want to kind of focus on, on, on this. Cause like I say, the guy I know was saying, We've got to cut down, if you could cut down on the unnecessary trips to the emergency room, you would be able to save a boatload of money. And the point he was kind of making with, you know, if everybody's got the insurance, then then it encourages people to essentially be irresponsible, to, to say, okay, well, I, I don't want to wait till Monday to go to call my doctor or whatever. And I understand, I understand there's a balancing. If somebody's got a true emergency situation, you, you want them in the hospital. You don't want them to say, hey, I think this person's having a stroke. Let's just stay at home. So, I mean, I get that there's the balancing that's there. Nikki, who's calling us from Illinois. Nikki, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Nice to talk to you. Wow. Thank you. You are an emergency. My, nurse, my note says you're an emergency room nurse. I, I have I've left the ER a couple of years ago, and uh, but I also run a free medical clinic for uh, uninsured. Okay. Um, you know, from back in my old ER days, I, you know, one of the comments that always used to drive me well, used to drive me crazy back then was, you know, a lot of the people that we're talking about there and that the ER doc is referring to, a lot of those guys actually get sent to the ER by their practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, in this day and age, if you call up your doctor's office and say, um, you know what, I've got this really bad cold for the last week and now I've got this chest pain every time I cough, the receptionist, and I kid you not, the receptionist, makes a medical decision and says, <laughs> you've, got, you've got chest pain, you've got to go to the ER. And <laughs> you, you've and really got a chest cold and you've been coughing for a week. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't matter, you said the magic word. Right, right. <laughs> And honestly, you know, if you actually pull up the research and some of the um, some of the journal articles on all of these numbers, it's really not that big. It's not as big as you think it is. With the people uh, that are presenting with non-emergency situations? Yeah. You know, you're never going to be able to get rid of the frequent flyers. You're right. never going to be able to get rid of the people who just go. That it's You know, there's always going to be a percentage of the population that does that. That's the term you guys use, frequent flyers, huh? Yeah. <laughs> for, for and, the, you know, but you know what? Frequent flyers get sick, too. So, you know, one of the rules about ER medicine is that you never blow anybody off, either, right. because one day they come in with something that's serious. Right. But how do you... if 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 we accept the premise that there are people, whatever percentage it might be, that there are a percentage of people who are using the emergency room when they don't need the emergency room, is the, do we just throw up our hands and say there's nothing we can do about that? Or is there something that you could do to try to rein that in to make sure that the people who are using the most expensive services are really the ones that need it? Well, and you know what, over the last 20 years, they've developed, you know, what we call fast track, where we, instead of putting them in the main block of the ER, you put them up in the little side rooms, or you have an immediate care clinic that's associated with that. Right. You know, for me, you know, and I grew up in a socialized medicine system, I honestly, out of all the the things we've come up with, that to me is the most useful. You know, because the hard part is, so you turn someone away at the door and say, go find an immediate care or a doc in the box or whatever you want to call them. Um, they won't see you unless you hand over $40 or $60 mm-hmm. or $100. Yeah, and a lot of them aren't going to be open 24 hours. I mean, yeah. it's Sunday. I mean, I can them. see that Sunday evening at 7 o'clock, you're not going to find too many emergent care things that are open. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the ironic thing at our free clinic is, uh, you know, when Obamacare kicked in, we actually saw an influx of insured people because they can't afford the, the co-pays. If you're earning $200 in the hand a week and you have to, you know, pay mm-hmm. for the rent, pay for your food, and then someone wants $40 for uh, just to be seen, let alone any lab tests or any x-rays or any imaging that needs to be done, it's unaffordable. But isn't that, story. isn't at least that, one way you have of at least making people think twice before they simply say, if if it's free, if I'm not paying anything, um, I, maybe I have to think twice before I go with the hangnail or I go with the, the scrape or I go with the, I've got a cold, so I, I want to go in and have somebody look at it and they're going to tell me I've got a cold. Yeah, absolutely, but you've got two problems in the state. You've got a culture that doesn't do that and will never do that, which mm-hmm. is why socialized medicine will probably never work here. Right. And you've also got the problem of, uh, you know, and I hate to use the word litigation because I honestly don't feel that that's that big of a problem here either. Um, but that hand now can turn into a sepsis, which can kill you. So. How, right, did, no, the, how does a lay person make that decision that this is serious or not serious? Well, or actually, how does the or the, the flip side, like you were saying, I mean, how, how does the doctor or the emergency room nurse make that decision if you look at it and say, okay, this is just a hangnail, and then you, you send them away, and it turns out you've missed that, and it's yeah. something more than that, then you get the suit. Thanks for calling, Nikki. I, and I pre, look, and I understand this is a complicated – there's so many different aspects of it. I, I do I do believe, though – that it, when we talk about whether it's socialized medicine or whether it's single payer or whatever, one of the things that you're going to have to do to get costs down is if if we don't want to see rationing care, you, you have to you have to limit the, it, you have to limit the ability of people to use the most expensive thing. It's all right. This is a bad analogy, but open bars at wedding. All right, you're you're at a wedding. It's an open bar. All right. Well, all right. You, you you get you get the drink of the expensive stuff. You start talking to somebody. You leave that drink there. It disappears. You come back fifteen minutes later. You order another drink of the expensive stuff. You're not paying for it. it it's an open bar. I mean that that is one of the problems that you have. All right. If for example, let's take the most the most expensive health care around. Again, presenting at the emergency room. You're you're not paying for it. There's no skin in the game. Um, or at least you're not paying specially or extra for that, that, then what do you do with the people that, again, don't need that emergent care, but like Nikki was saying, the frequent flyers or whatever term you want to use, that, that decide to take advantage of that? There, there, there needs to be we, – we've got to rein in costs as well, is, is my only point here, um, because if you – Okay, you can you can talk about insurance and you can talk about delivery and you can talk about what services need to be covered or whatever, but unless you're also reining in various costs, you're, you're never, ever, ever going to solve the um, problem. Let's talk to Mike in Waterford. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, hi, Jeff. Hi, yeah, Mike. the previous caller used up a lot of the things I was going to say, but I have uh, a sister and a spouse that work in a level one trauma center in Milwaukee, and my sister said way back when Obamacare first passed that irresponsible people are not going to become responsible just because you passed a law. Yep. If they're used to using the emergency room as their primary care physician, just because they've got Obamacare coverage doesn't mean they're going to stop doing that. Right. You know, they're not going to go to the trouble of getting a primary care physician and going for checkups and going for tests and all that other stuff. They're just going to do what they've always done, and when they get sick with something, they'll go to the emergency room. Yeah. 
and they'll they'll wait in the waiting room for three hours, you know, taking up the space and using the, the triage to get checked out. And they want their minor non-emergency issue to be treated in the emergency right. room. Right. And you can't turn them away. Right, because exactly. Like said, the law says they have to stabilize and treat what they came in for. Um, yeah, even though it's not an emergency situation. I mean, thank, see, and I just, and again, I'm, don't listen to this and think that, oh, he's saying that, you know, people shouldn't, you know, you're having a heart attack, you shouldn't go. No, but I mean, we're talking about a class of people that, a particular class of people that are doing these things, frequent flyers, the term, or, or whatever, because it's convenient, because it's there, and because there's no skin in the game. Um, our text lines are exploding. Justin says, I think it would be prudent to change the law so that emergency rooms and equivalent facilities could perform a quick triage on those presenting and turn away those not in need of urgent care, even if they have insurance. Emergency rooms should be reserved for true emergencies with a progressive chain from urgent care clinics to physicians' offices for lesser and routine um, care. Greg in Appleton says, people need to have skin in the game. My family's health care decisions changed when our insurance went to a high-deductible plan. We're more aware of costs, and we might go to an urgent care at a Shopco Express versus a primary care clinic because it's cheaper. Um, we, maybe we need skin in the game. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, it is time for us to collectively stick up for one aspect of Wisconsin drivers. All right, now I understand there's lots of frustrations on the roadways, and I I experience them from time to time. I'll be driving around, and um, some people will say, Jeff, you need to be a little bit more patient. I appreciate that patience kind of is winding down, like when I'm a hurry, in a hurry to get there, and the speed limit is 55 miles an hour on a single-lane highway, and the person is driving 48, like happened yesterday. All right, I admit that sometimes I have been known to be impatient, or the person that... I don't know, isn't paying attention at the left turn lane when the arrow goes green and decides to sit there. Okay, I've been known to be impatient, but I, I'm, I, have a, I have a friend who actually has advocated putting horns on golf carts, you know, to deal with slow drivers. And I, I just, I've said, I don't, I don't exactly think I, it might be satisfying for a moment, but I, but, but in general, um, I, I think while we have frustrations and, and anybody who's driven on the roadways can understand that there is, that there are frustrations that are there. At the same time, I don't know that we are particularly bad. Um, there's a new survey out, and according to the survey, it's part of this Cars for Kids org, and, and it's, a, it's a group that tries to get you to donate their, their car, cars, and they, they use it for charitable purposes. Um, they, they have this thing called the Cars for Kid Organization's Drive Human Campaign, which is aimed at increasing courteous driving awareness and to promote better driving habits. Um, so they have this study. According to the study... The survey shows that Wisconsin drivers, that's that's you and me, we are the fifth rudest set of drivers in the country. According to the officials, the survey shows many Wisconsin drivers would openly admit that they would steal somebody's parking space. Wisconsin got an F rating when it comes to whether we would steal someone's parking space. According to the survey results, we are the worst in the nation. How aggressively do you respond to slow driving? 
I might be guilty of that. Wisconsin got a C rating. Do you let a car merge in front of you in heavy traffic? Wisconsin got an F rating. Do you respond rudely when being tailgated? Wisconsin got a B rating. Do you use your turn signals? Wisconsin got an A rating. Yes, I turn signals. Oh, it's just a suggestion. I'll be driving down the road and somebody will say, oh, I'm just going to turn left. Would you steal somebody's parking spot again? Wisconsin got an F rating. Would you speed up to stop someone from passing you? Wisconsin got a D rating. According to the survey, when it comes to courtesy by region, the West is actually the best. The Midwest is second best. As for courtesy by age, it turns out older drivers are nicer and women are nicer than men. When it comes to states with the most courteous drivers, Idaho ranks number one. There's probably not that many drivers out there. New York is dead last. Wisconsin falls at 46. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I understand that I understand that we can you, you cannot get in your automobile and drive pretty much anywhere without seeing some example of a, a discourteous or a clueless driver. I, I understand that. But this notion that we in Wisconsin are are in the bottom five that we are ruder in a general rule, and, and this says that we're ruder than Illinois drivers, that we're ruder than Michigan drivers, that we're ruder than Iowa drivers. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, as a general theory, I don't buy that. Now, I understand that there are frustrations on the roadways, and I understand that you're always going to run into the situation where you've got the, the jerk driver or things like that. But as a general rule, I kind of resent the idea that people would say that we are worse than like Illinois. But that's just my feeling. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand there's a lot of discourtesy that goes on, and I'm not defending that in any way, shape, or form. But do you think we are worse here in Wisconsin than we are? they are in almost other any other place other than New York? And if you've driven in those other places, I would be particularly interested in your opinion. 414-799-1620. I just kind of reject that notion. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Are we really that bad in Wisconsin? It's 1114. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, i got to be careful with this name. This is J.J. Gray and Mofro playing at the Johnson Controls World Sound Stage. See, that's one that you mispronounce a little bit and you're in a meeting. So, no, that's they're playing tonight at Summerfest. Check them out. There's this new survey that's out there that says that Wisconsin, and I understand we've got problems on the roadways. I talk about that all the time with, like, rude or clueless drivers. But they say that this study says that we're, like, with one of the five rudest states in the nation when it comes to driving. You know, really? Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, good morning. Hey, Jeff, I find myself agreeing with you 100%. I've <laughs> lived here 45 years, and I've never had an issue. I have a nephew who moved here, has lived here for three years from Minnesota, and says, you know what, Wisconsin are the rudest drivers. I'm like, oh, you're 25. You don't know any better. I had a cousin <laughs> who moved up here for Texas for three years, said the same thing. I discounted him. And I've had several coworkers that have moved here, and they've all said the same thing. And every time I just discount them, I'm like, you, you just don't know. But then when you 
site of study. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> maybe there's truth to this. I don't, I mean, I guess I don't, you know, we have stories of road rage and things like that. That This thing about stealing people's parking spaces, I, I, I would have to imagine that in places where, like, parking is more at a premium, that would be going on, like Chicago or sure. New York or Los yeah. Angeles or things like that, stealing, stealing people's parking places. I mean, how often in Milwaukee and let, how often around here, unless there's some big event going on, is there a problem finding a parking place yeah, or something? I, I've never had that happen. But they all cite people out on the road are just much more rude. And I, I guess I just don't see it that much. Well, no, that, I don't. I mean, thanks. For, and, I, and again, I, I guess I, I don't. I mean, I understand. Look, I understand that there's rude drivers and there's rude, ro- there is road rage that goes on. And I'm not trying to argue no. I'm just thinking, really, that we're there's something in our water that makes us worse than 45 other states? Julian Greenfield. Hi, Julie. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, first I want to say love you to death. Thank you very um, much. Oh, you made my morning. Made my morning. Thank you. <laughs> well, I live in Greenfield, and my sister comes down from Campbellsport and lives with me during the week. Well, she has developed such a mouth that we call it Milwaukee mouth. <laughs> and my husband always tells me to stop using my car as a weapon. <laughs> That's how I drive. I would never let anyone who on the right of me, and I know that they're going to try to beat me out in. I am one of those people. <laughs> I am, and I and there's times when I'm just now realizing with all the stuff that's going on, I have to really rethink how I drive. I really should go to one of those some I, kind of training course to be re-educated how to drive. Well, I'm well, you, you know, um, my my late wife, um, she used to she she wouldn't believe me. She would not drive below the speed limit, but she would be one of those that if, if somebody was tailgating her. Um, and, and she's driving above the speed limit and somebody's like tailgating her. Now she wasn't a left lane driver, but she would, she would slow down to the speed limit. And I would go, hon, you got to understand that in, in today's day and age, you don't know who's behind you. Everybody's got guns. Everybody's applying this road rage thing. You know, you just, you have to be more understanding. Hey, tell me though about your, your, your sister is what Milwaukee mouth. What is that? She's like yelling at people all the time. All the time. <laughs> And then when we be out in Campbellsport or whatever and just start yelling at people, I'll have to remind her, you have Milwaukee mouth. <laughs> you have got to stop just yelling at people or rolling down your window and yelling at them. And, oh. and she was oh, yeah. says, she's really bad now. Oh, yeah. Yes, rolling. See, well, that is part of the thing, like rolling down the windows and yelling, because you just never know who you're yelling at. That's part of exactly. the problem. Um, exactly. Thanks for the call, Julie. Milwaukee mouth. I like it. Ken in Random Lake. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, my my first comment is: ever drive in Massachusetts? <laughs> not, not not for I I don't I'm not sure I've ever driven in Massachusetts. Oh, I mean, Boston, it's just horrible. I'll bet to, to get all oh, horribly bad. Um, but my ranking is Massachusetts number one, Illinois number two, uh, California number three, Florida number four, and Pennsylvania number five. And I've driven in all of the major <laughs> cities there. And I'll tell you what, man, that is bad. Dallas, Texas, probably the nicest area to drive in by right. far you know when you let somebody in they give you one of those you know a little hand up and hey wave thank you type of thing all oh, right as uh, opposed to as opposed to the single finger salute well you know i mean and i admit there are there there i see i get frustrated i mean it's it's one of my first one of my many driving frustrations is where you, you like the, you get the thing that says the lane ends and so you know right lane right. ends and so almost everybody moves over but there's always the one person the one. that decides i'm going to drive all the way up and then four myself yep. be, oh, in the end. And, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff that just drives me crazy. But but for every person like that that's out there, I, I guess in general, I just don't think we're I don't think we're that bad. Are we bad? No. Yes. But no. 
Not, not that, but, hey, thanks, man. Thanks, uh, appreciate it. Um, you know, Massachusetts, yeah, Boston. I can, well, that's it. You, I mean, you think about, you know, again, big city driving with all the frustrations and the traffic and things like that. I, I just refuse to believe that we're worse in Wisconsin than people driving in downtown Chicago. No offense to people driving in downtown Chicago or, or like you say, Boston or, well, New York is worst. Uh, Randy and Keel. Randy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Randy. Yeah. The reason reason we have uh, Wisconsin gets a reputation because I swear in, in Wisconsin I travel all over the country. I think the left lane is for leisure. And yeah, people backing up traffic, so therefore you become frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. really, that, left lane is not leisure. I well, I, I I agree. To me, I mean, that's what I was always taught. Okay, left lane is for passing. You pass. Then you get over, and then if you hit another slower car, then you get over and you pass. But yes, you right. Left lane is for leisure or for driving. No, I, I, and I agree that that's a that's a frustration. Okay, our text line a lot. Of, I do think we have some of the worst drivers. I judge this by how many times I have to yell to myself in the car. There's lots of idiot drivers out and around there. Now I did not know I do this, but okay, the, the woman I'm, I'm seeing, Fran, she she, <laughs> she will point out that I, I don't. I don't like your. Well, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not going to get involved in a road rage incident, but I do. I do make this motion, not an obscene gesture, but it's kind of like my left hand, like shooing like flies or something. It's like, okay, drive, drive, turn, turn. She says, you don't even realize that you are are doing this, you know. It's, it's, so I, I have have somebody that's taking another look at my driving habits, but I mean, I'm not screaming. But there, I, I understand exactly what the texter is saying. I do, <clears throat> I do find myself you know, making those motions from time to time. Um, let's see another text. I'm on the road most of the day for work. Most of the issues I have almost always have. Illinois plates. Um, <clears throat> just saying. Let's see. Oops. I here's another text. I had a young punk pull a gun on me the other day in West Dallas. Stopped by the police station. Was told that since they didn't see it, there's not much they can do about it. Huh. Well, that's an interesting reaction by the police. Uh, let's see. Try Atlanta or Chicago or L.A. I'm a cab driver, and I do see a lot of stupid stuff, but it's not as bad as the other states. Yeah, I'm, I, I just I think we're getting a bad rap, which is not an encouragement or endorsement of bad driving, but really the fifth worst in the country. I don't think so. Stick around. Lots more stuff coming up. It's 1124. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Philip Phillips performing tonight at the BMO Harris Pavilion down at Summerfest. What was it like to fight in the heavy combat zones of Vietnam? How did the local Vietnamese people treat our soldiers? These tales are part of their stories. The Stars and Stripes Honor Flight Podcast. It's up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Hey, when you're there, you can also download um, the podcast of this program. I know lots of people do that, and I very much appreciate it. Um, I want to comment on this story. I don't know that I have any great insight other than to say there there is a war that is being conducted by, by some people against law enforcement and – I think law enforcement officers need to be, I think everybody's aware of this and they need to be particularly aware. And I don't know if we need to change some of our policies, but there's a horrible story out this morning. A 48-year-old New York City police officer, um, 12-year veteran of the department, was assassinated this morning as she sat in her police car um, in in the Bronx, what what happened? Apparently, she she's with a partner, 
and it's it's nearing the end of her shift, and she's in a marked squad car. And what happens is a, a guy who has a lengthy criminal record um, apparently walks up to the police car and and shoots her. I mean, they're describing this as an assassination. Um, it just it, this is completely unprovoked. It's not an investigation. The guy just walks up to the police car and, and shoots her literally in cold blood. This is um, this is reminiscent of something that happened in New York a couple of years ago. Same sort of thing where two police officers again were assassinated. Um, the part her partner who was in the vehicle radios for assistance. Other officers found the suspect a block of way. He drew the revolver that he used to shoot the officer with. And then he was, in fact, um, fatally shot. But it's this isn't one of these. Hey, we're chasing people down. It's a gun battle. This is this is somebody who walks up to the side of the car and pulls out a gun and executes the police officer, apparently unknown. It was just he's going to go out and he's going to kill cops. So for everybody out there who, you know, um, decides that you, you think that the police are the enemy or you think that the police are the bad guy for enforcing the laws or you think that the police are reckless or irresponsible. I mean, th- this is one of these cautionary tales that people who go out and go about the job of law enforcement, they're they're putting their lives on the line. Every day, every time, you know, they they kiss their husband or they kiss their wife or they kiss their kids and they go out and they go to work. I mean, there there's there is a chance that they're not coming home. And that's what makes that job different from a lot of jobs. I mean, the reality is for most of us, you get up for for work in the morning, you get dressed, you go into work. You know that you're going to be coming home at night. Um, you know that the job you are doing isn't going to put your life in jeopardy. And this is a cautionary tale that, that's out there. And, and unfortunately, I think there's some people who feed into the police are the enemy mentality. And then, I mean, who knows what the motive of this obviously crazy guy was. But it's the police are the bad guys. It's the police are the enemies. And now you have this, again, 48-year-old woman murdered in cold blood on the streets of New York simply for being a police officer. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. That is, of course, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They're the headliner at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater down at Summerfest, as I've been saying all morning. Um, If you haven't had a chance to see Tom Petty, tonight and tomorrow at Summerfest, it's really, he is, he's got one of, not exclusively, but one of the the great catalogs of um just this classic american rock and roll i mean it's just it is just amazing um and you really should just check it out summerfest is a great time we're already more than halfway through summerfest we wait all year for it to happen and then it just kind of goes by so very quickly all right i know with this topic i kind of go where angels fear to tread oregon house approves ban on lunch shaming all right what what is what is lunch shaming? Now, here's the way it works. Under the law, there are there are various federal requirements for school lunch programs. And there are various programs that allow low-income people to qualify for – their kids can qualify for free lunches provided by the schools. 
right? In addition, there are programs that are out there that allow for discounted school lunch programs for kids who meet certain financial qualifications. And what we're about to talk about, none of those apply. This does not apply to the kids who qualify for the free lunches, doesn't qualify for, apply to the kids who qualify for discount lunches. We are talking about kids whose parents have the ability to pay for the school lunches. So that's, that's it. This is not low income. This is not we're starving poor children. Right. So school lunches cost money. It costs the taxpayers of a school district dough to, you know, give the food to, to the kids, right? It costs, it costs money to do that. And as a result, what's the old saying? There is no free lunch. There is an expectation that the kids, if, if they choose to take the school lunch. Now, there's nothing that says that mom or dad can't make the kid a bag lunch. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, that was, that, that was sort of it. I, I took bag lunches to, to school. And when I was younger, my mom made them and we'd kind of be curious. Okay, what kind of sandwich do we have here? And then when I got older, I was expected to make them. But, but you know, that was the idea. You, you take a, a bag lunch as an alternative to the hot lunch. So you can take the bag lunch. Then you've got the hot lunch as an alternative. Well, what happens is you're supposed to pay for this. All right. There is no free lunch, right? So what do you do? When you have parents who, for whatever reason, decide that they're they're not going to pay, they're they're maybe they're just they're too busy to put money into their kids' accounts, you know. And a lot of times, and, and there's all sorts of different ways you can do it. And different school districts do it in different ways. You forget to send uh, the kid with money, and you forget to do it day after day. Well, a number of school districts across the country, and in Oregon also, we're talking about Oregon because they've got this bill. What they say is that after after a certain point, once you fall like five or six days in arrears, um, what they will do is they, they say, okay, we're, you, you show up, you know, you're more than a week in arrears. We're, we're not going to continue to give you again the free lunch. What we'll do is we'll give you a cheese sandwich. Um, but, but that's all you're going to get until mom or dad or you put more money in your account. Well, anyhow, there's this bill that's now been, passed by the Oregon House and the Oregon Senate. There's a different, there's a couple differences, so they have to get together and work those out. But it would prohibit what they call lunch shaming, which is the idea where you tell a kid, hey, there's no money in your account. Um, mom and dad need to pony up the dough or else, you know, you're, you're not going to get the lunch. You're going to get the cheese sandwich. And then the kid feels bad because he gets the cheese sandwich and everybody else gets the, the pizza slice or the lasagna slice. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe it is the responsibility of a school system to provide free lunches for people who have or whose parents have the ability to pay. I also believe that, again, we're not talking about, in most of these cases, a kid who is a day or two behind. But I believe that if mom or dad are too busy or too disconnected or too uncaring or whatever it is or too lazy to either make a lunch for the kid or make sure that the kid has enough money in his account to pay for the lunch, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, here's a cheese sandwich. And candidly, I don't think schools should be put in a situation of having to be collection agencies when mom or dad decide, oh, I'm just I'm just too busy or I wasn't paying attention. 
Matter of fact, I guarantee you that in the vast majority of cases, once the kid comes home and says, hey, I got a cheese sandwich today, that's when mom or dad is going to be motivated to say, oh, yeah, you're right. I've got to I've got to take care of this. I mean, mom or dad doesn't pay the electric bill. Well, the electricity is going to get turned off. You don't pay the cable bill. The cable is going to be turned off. Is there really anything wrong with saying, you know, after your account gets a certain number of days in arrears, whatever that is, a week, two weeks, whatever, you're getting a cheese sandwich. Is that really lunch shaming or is that just trying to make parents responsible for taking care of their kids? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, this idea, candidly to me, that says, all right, here, um, essentially a free lunch. If the kids keep showing up, mom and dad hasn't put money in the account, you school have to continue to continue to give them the, the, the school lunches. I mean, I think that's absurd. And in situations where you have, I don't know, mom or dad that makes more money than you or me, why should the taxpayers be paying for what is essentially a free lunch for that child? Right? Is that this cruel position or is it just... Hey, if the kid wanted to go into, you know, a grocery store, the kid wanted to go into the restaurant and they didn't have money to pay or they go to buy soda or whatever after school and they didn't have money to pay for it, you're not going to just continue to give them, you know, free soda. Is it really any different when it comes to schools? I don't think so. And I don't think it should be. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. All right. Is lunch shaming that bad, really? Or is it just a way of encouraging mom and dad to ultimately be responsible? It's 1142. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.45, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Need to Breathe. They're performing at the Briggs & Stratton Big Backyard. That is tonight. Summerfest rolls on. Five days left. Again, time time just flies. Um, you wait all year for Summerfest, and I tell you, I think the lineup. Um, just I, I've I've spoken to people. I know people who've probably been um, somebody who's been to every one of the at least the main stage shows. Um, not one person that's been to all of them, but I, I know somebody that's been to at least one of them. Um, and it, for every one of the shows, and matter of fact, many of those people were at this Fourth of July party I was at last evening, and everybody was talking about just how good and entertaining the shows were. I know I saw Zach Brown on Saturday night, and that was just absolutely outstanding. People who saw Paul Simon, you know, um, were talking about that show. Um, just I think a lot of pink. Pink had an invitation. I, I Actually, um, we were invited to go see the pink show, but um, the woman I was dating, she, she couldn't get off of work, so we ended up missing out on that. Ah, darn. I would have liked to have seen pink. All right, we're talking about this whole concept of lunch shaming, this idea that the schools can say – after you fall far enough behind um, in, in paying for your lunch, they're going to essentially cut you off. They're going to give you a cheese sandwich. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Oregon is getting ready to outlaw it. Let's see. Michelle and Waterford writes, as taxpayers, we should not be providing breakfast for the kids either. If you have kids, pay for them. Take responsibility for them. Well, that, that's yeah, see, that's the whole concept behind this. And I understand, well, you're punishing the kids. The kids are going to go hungry. First of all, they're going to cheese sandwich. Um, how, can I see a show of hands? There's a lot of people who probably skip lunch. There's a lot of people who probably, you know, I mean, that that is the lunch you pack, which would be a cheese sandwich. But it's the idea, well, there's this stigma attached to it. Well, okay, that's no different than... 
mom or dad, for example, you got a class field trip and mom or dad failed to sign the permission slips, you're not going on the class field trip. I mean, at some point in time, schools are not collection agencies. You know, it, it should be a, a pay-as-you-go. And again, I'm exempting. This isn't the kids who qualify for the free lunches. This is the parents who've been notified time and time again that your kid needs money in his account or her account, and they're ignoring it. Stephanie in Milwaukee. Stephanie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Jeff. I am a food service director for one of the suburb districts of okay. Milwaukee, and I just wanted to call and say thank you so much for addressing this issue because most people don't realize that food service programs we're not subsidized by local tax dollars. Right. If we participate in the National School Lunch Program, we get those funds plus the funds that we actually raise by what we charge. And right, so but right, but you're, so you're, the school district. What you're saying is, if you if you've got a kid who's not a participant in in the national program, who's getting the lunch, that that's coming out of your budget. <laughs> you, yeah. you, that money's got to come from somewhere. Sure. Exactly, and so it makes a huge difference. And as you pointed out. Many, many of the, um, the the accounts that are in arrears are of people who could pay. There is so much assistance out there if people really need it, mm-hmm. and we and we always reach out to them. You know, you haven't paid, you haven't paid. Do you need assistance? Can we help you sign up? We take so many steps mm-hmm. to do that, and you know, staff hates to not be able to give a child the meal that they really want. But there is what other wake up call do we have? Well, well, right. And my, see, and my guess, Stephanie, is the vast majority of the parents that are in arrears, it, it's not because they don't have the $20 to put in the kid's account. It's just because they're too busy or too lazy or it's just not a priority with them. So they get the notifications or whatever, and they just sort of blow it off. And my my guess also would be once the, the kids start getting the cheese sandwiches or whatever, that's the wake-up call to the parents, and mysteriously, the money's going to get in their account. Exactly, exactly. And there are... There are some families out there too who know that, oh, you know, we're, it, it'll be so embarrassing for you if you do anything about this. So I'm just going to continue to let this account pile up, pile up, pile up. We have some of those too, which is really sad. Well, right. And then at the end of the, I mean, some people would argue, well, at the end of the year, maybe there's ways that you can try to collect this. But but you guys aren't in that business. You're not a collection right. agency. You're, you're. I mean, if, if it was a regular cafeteria, you wouldn't be giving people free food on a regular basis. You'd expect exactly. people to pay. Yeah. So this is an issue you face, huh? Oh, oh yes. Yes, every every year, and it's and it's thousands of dollars. And in the size of my district, that's a huge portion of my budget. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Stephanie. And this is this is again, it's this legitimate issue. And if we take out of the discussion, the again, the kids who don't have the ability to pay, because they're really that's not what this is. Sometimes there there needs to be a bit of a stigma. Oh, you can't do anything to make the kids feel bad. It's really it's the parents' fault. Well, um, well, okay, well, again, how do you handle the, the field trip? Or, you know, everybody needs this and you need to pay X amount of dollars to participate in these type of things. You know, you can't be in band unless you do that. All, all those type of things. You, you know, you're, if you don't pay that money, there's going to be some sort of consequence. Okay, mom and dad didn't sign the permission slip or didn't send the $5 along that you need to go on the bus ride to the field trip. So you end up being, you know, at home, you know, alone at school or with a couple of your other, of the kids. All right, oh, we feel bad. We're sticking stigmatizing the children well you know there there are there are consequences and again my guess and it would just be a guess my guess is after you start cutting off the kids and giving them that cheese sandwich 
75 or 80 percent of the time within 24 or 48 hours, you will end up seeing that, okay, the, the kids that, you know, the, the kids have their, the kids have their food, you know, um, you know, boom, the, the money's in the account and it's, you know, not going to be a, an issue with, um, this. And as far as people say, well, kids can't learn and all these things, I, I, I have to tell you, um, as somebody who, like I say, when I was a kid, younger kid, my mom packed my lunch. Later on, I packed my lunch. There's lots of times I took a cheese sandwich. That was my lunch to begin with. I mean, it's JP in Oak Creek. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Um, I was telling your screener, I'm a teacher. My kids actually go to my same school district. And there's multiple times where uh, I'll eat the lunch up and we don't have anything, any money left for them on the bill. And uh, they'll be they'll get things to say. Hey, you don't have your money here. Right. I have no problem with them having to eat a cheese sandwich if I don't take care of my responsibility of paying the bill. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we have an issue with lack of repercussions around our things. And yeah. You know, our kids don't get it, and me as a parent, well, you know what? It's my responsibility to put it in there, or or those kids to get a job and put it in there. Right. And my guess is a lot of times, if you just if if it slips through the cracks or you forget about it or whatever, you know, once you find out, hey, there's no money in the account. Um, boom, that motivates you to put the money in the account, right? Absolutely, and go ahead, embarrass my kid, he'll be fine. Yeah, he he'll, was, get over, he'll get over it, and you know what, like you said, a cheese sandwich, that isn't too bad. I'd be good with a cheese sandwich a lot of times, so... Uh, you're right. I, 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 that's, this is silliness. And, uh, right. No, thank, no, thank, I appreciate the call and the perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, it's, it, it's a cheese sandwich. All right. That's, um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to have for lunch today. And you know what? It might be, I'm trying to think of what I have at home or if I'm going to have to stop. It might very well be a cheese sandwich and an apple. That might very well be what the lunch is today. But you know, there's a lot of times I don't even get lunch and somehow I am able to survive. Now I understand, Jeff, you're not a, an impressionable 10 year old child who's, you know, trying to learn or things like that. But I mean, come on. I mean, lunch shaming, really? It's 1152. Uh, Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstead. I, I actually, Hondo, who's producing the show today and always, I saw Eric Bilstead. I was at the Menominee Falls Parade on the 3rd of July, and I'm I'm just one of the schlubs. I'm on the sidelines. I'm kind of like waving at all the things, and this car gets driven by, and there's, there is Eric Bilstead from WTMJ, and he's, he's, he's kind of waving, and so I, I kind of waved back at him, and some people standing around me said, did, did you know him? And I said, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's Eric Bilstead from WTMJ, absolutely. So that's, I, I, I was very, I was very impressed with that. He was participating in the parade. I was just, I was just watching it. The difference is I get to drink beer while I was watching the parade.